0: Welcome to SafetyNet, a patient safety podcast with news, trends, and ideas from CRICO, the insurance program for all of the Harvard medical institutions and their affiliates, bringing a data driven approach to reducing medical error through clinical analysis of malpractice claims. Patient safety and quality care were put at risk by the COVID-19 pandemic for a large population of patients at many hospitals throughout the country. Non-English speaking patients and others who are typically at a disadvantage for health care are overrepresented in the inpatient COVID wards. Health outcomes and preventive care are following the same pattern. At Massachusetts General Hospital in Boston, an established team for care equity and diversity knew early on in the pandemic that they had a lot of work to do. Over the course of the past year, they have been recruiting multilingual clinicians and conducting outreach to try to ward off an explosion in care disparity. Joining us now is the leader of that effort, Dr. Joseph Bettencourt. Dr. Bettencourt is a practicing internist and the senior vice president for equity and community health at MGH. Dr. Bettencourt, thank you for joining us.
1: Thank you so much for having me. I really appreciate it.
0: So uh, about a year ago, early on in the pandemic, you uh, identified uh, some needs and you identified some work that your team could do to address those needs and those risks for underserved populations. Can you sort of walk us through how you addressed
1: it? Absolutely, yeah. Uh, Again, thanks for giving me a chance to share uh, this work. You know, so I had the great opportunity um, and challenge in March of last year, uh, March 16th to be exact, to be asked to lead Mass General Brigham's uh, equity and community health COVID response as well as Mass General Hospital's COVID response. And so, you know, at that time, we knew that history has told us that uh, pandemics, natural disasters always disproportionately impact vulnerable populations. And, you know, we were beginning to think about ways that might happen, the, the perfect storm that might lead to the pandemic uh, impacting communities of color at harder rates, uh, higher rates. And, and we know that that's exactly what happened as we stand here today, a year later. We know that communities of color were, you know, and have been decimated by the pandemic, particularly because they, um, you know, really live in, in what is the perfect storm for the spread of coronavirus, a virus that has 10 days of asymptomatic spread and, uh, you know, certain Certainly, uh, communities that are densely populated, uh, that have multi-generational housing, that are, have a high amount of essential workers who, you know, quite frankly, were taking public transportation even before we were advising mass who don't have the luxury of, you know, working from home all were at the center of this storm. And, and so all those social determinants made the pandemic just that much more devastating for communities of color locally and nationally. And so, you know, we we knew that. I can't say that we knew exactly. How it was all going to play out, but we began to think about okay, what work streams might we begin to assemble to uh to meet the assumed needs that would be coming down the pike and so there were you know several and i 'll just highlight them quickly one was uh, an effort that really made sure that any hotlines that we had, any information was staffed in a multilingual way. That as we pivoted towards virtual, that we were able to, you know, make sure that uh, we were also doing telephonic uh, interactions with our patients because of the digital divide. Um, that we delivered and created these things called care kits with masks and hand sanitizer and information, you know, at the at the doorstep of of patients in hotspot communities. Very early on, um, we anticipated that with the need to redeploy our workforce speaking another language would be an asset we just felt that you know in all the different areas in which we were going to be working whether it be in our respiratory infectious clinics whether it be in our testing areas whether it be on the inpatient side that there might be a need for us to know you know who among our workforce spoke a different language so that we could deploy you know individuals accordingly and you know just as we predicted that that need played out uh, very early on in the pandemic about 40 percent of our COVID inpatients were actually Spanish speaking and from communities like Chelsea, Revere, East Boston. And there's no doubt that we have a very, very strong interpreter services. We do about 140,000 interpreter visits a year. We fundamentally believe that interpreter services are essential partners in quality and safety. And uh, But the challenge that this pandemic presented for us is that uh, number one, our interpreters couldn't be live. We were trying to conserve PPE and protect them. And number two, that demand was completely uh, outstripping our supply. So it's at that point that um, we uh, leveraged our multilingual registry. We had identified about 2,500 caregivers, doctors, nurses, frontline staff who spoke different languages, but we really said we need uh, doctors um, to help us here as we uh, meet can best meet the needs of our um, Spanish-speaking COVID-positive patients and uh, really put out a call. Dr. Betancourt, let me
0: interrupt you just for a second. So, you, you identified all of this in the, uh, all these needs, but were these the s- same kinds of things that you had seen in the past, or were some of these brand new?
1: I I think these were all brand new. I mean, we've always known that language barriers, uh, you know, impact, you know, quality and safety, communication, adherence. I mean, there's plenty of data there. And that's why I think we've invested heavily in, uh, our interpreter services. I think in this instance, what was new was that this was, you know, an unprecedented strain on their ability to you know meet the needs of, of our patients. And so it was, you know, in that, in that regard that we thought that, uh, uh, you know, kind of leveraging our doctors to help uh, with these inpatients would be incredibly important. But yeah, these were these were new concepts, I think. The, and, and, and I think they're concepts that we've thought about for a long time, but really hadn't mobilized. And like so much of the pandemic, we've been able to innovate, uh, kind of, uh, you know, create new strategies on the fly. And, and this was one of them.
0: Wow. And uh, what was the response at the institution and from patients?
1: Yeah, I'll tell you. So, you know, it was incredible. And, and I'll maybe detail just a couple of things here. Um, first, you know, we put this call out to our uh, native Spanish speaking doctors. We wanted uh, doctors who, you know, were absolutely fluent in Spanish and, and fluent and bilingual. And we had a response from about um, 51 of uh, them from across 15 departments uh, and representing 15 Latin American and Caribbean uh, uh, nations. So, incredible diversity both clinically and culturally, uh, but the bond that brings us all together, myself included, is uh, somebody who's originally from Puerto Rico who, who is part of the Spanish language care group is what we call this, um, was that we were all Spanish speaking and we were all committed to bringing, you know, our clinical, our cultural, and our linguistic competence uh, to this work. And so we basically set up a system uh, working with our hospital medicine unit so that uh, seven of us uh, worked uh, during the day, uh, four of us at night, shoulder-to-shoulder shoulder with our surge teams to make sure that in any encounter, uh, as we were caring for our COVID-positive patients, in any encounter with a Spanish-speaking patient, there was a Spanish-speaking doctor present. And I'll say, you know, to answer your question, the patients were incredibly appreciative. When you, we walked into the room and began speaking Spanish, I mean, their faces lit up. They were able to express themselves and engage in ways that I think um, made them feel, you know, more safe, uh, you know, more understood, uh Um, You know, it brought comfort to them. I'd say our peers and our search teams were incredibly appreciative of our effort. You know, they had said, boy, you know, we've used interpreters for so long. It's so different seeing how you're able to interact. We really value interpreters, but we really now value more than ever before the importance of diversity because what you're able to add here is fundamentally different from the standpoint of uh, are your ability to take a history, to provide discharge instructions, to clarify any questions that we have. And then finally, I would just say for us, as a group, and this range from, you know, full professor in surgery to a trainee in radiology, you know, across that spectrum, it was incredibly gratifying. This was our best contribution to our community to be able to be there for them uh, over the six weeks of our first surge.
0: And, you know, it may seem a little bit obvious, but uh, it looks like some patient safety benefits and some risk reduction in, in the scene.
1: Oh, without question. I mean, I, I think we were able to clarify a lot of different things and be in some very important conversations ranging from things like medication reconciliation, better explaining symptoms that, you know, quite frankly, uh, allowed for either, you know, more robust and aggressive uh, measures uh, to, you know, discharging people earlier because they actually were able to express that they were doing quite well. It ranged from very important serious illness conversations uh, where we We were able to incorporate family and get critical information. Uh, You know, it it ran the gamut of what I believe is real kind of critical quality and safety issues. And and I strongly believe that that we um, were able to contribute to safety in very, very significant ways uh, and and quality, certainly.
0: And uh, so now we're obviously in the vaccination stage of everything. Uh, What still needs to happen?
1: Uh, That's a great, great point because, you know, uh, what we have done now – is fundamentally leverage our Spanish language care group as well as our uh, black doctors organization here on campus to, uh, and uh, not only on campus but across the entire Mass General Brigham system to create something we, we're calling our Trusted Messenger Initiative. So, this is now a group of about 140 caregivers of color from across the system who are going to help address lack of confidence in the vaccine, vaccine hesitancy, and mistrust in communities of color. You know, we're going to be available um, to to um uh, uh, the media, and so working with multicultural media for placements and and the like, and, and communicating with our communities. We're going to be doing uh, as fielded from uh, community-based needs, town halls with community-based organizations, faith-based, faith-based organizations. We have a lot of demand for caregivers of color, for trusted messengers um, to deliver messages around the vaccine, so responding in that regard. We um, are going to be doing a Facebook Live every other week um, out of Mass General Brigham with our trusted messengers in different languages, communicating you know issues around vaccine hesitancy and and the importance of getting the vaccine and then finally we have launched something called our covid q a van which is a van that um it's gonna be several vans that go into hotspot communities um Uh, you know, driven by uh, community leaders and where they think we might be of assistance. Parking there, opening the doors, you know, um, having caregivers of color available on the street to talk to people, even get them scheduled for the vaccine. So we just launched that this week and and that's going to be something that, that grows. I'll be in Chelsea just this afternoon doing some of that work. So, you know, the the, the Spanish language care group really gave us uh, a springboard for thinking about ways in which we can leverage, you know, individuals with these sets of assets, you know, in, in other ways, including uh, the work that we're doing with the vaccination.
0: Wow, that's really impressive. And, and people, uh, providers of all stripes, listen to the podcast and uh, maybe have a varying uh, levels of experience with this issue. Uh, and, and I'm wondering if you have uh, any special insight or even advice at the uh, individual provider level.
1: Yeah, I mean, I think uh, we, we need all hands on deck. So whereas the trusted messengers are going to be out there and kind of, you know, doing these communications, we need help from from all of our peers to, you know, come out and, and engage in these efforts with us. You know, the, the addressing vaccine hesitancy really is um, – critical, you know, in these kind of onesie-twosie conversations. And so I don't think you have to be a a caregiver of color to be able to engage your patients of color around the importance of getting the vaccine. I guess that, that would be, you know, my message. And as we go out into community, we certainly need teams of people helping us register patients, helping them, you know, navigate the system. And so we hope that this is an all hands on deck opportunity and that the trusted messenger initiative is one that could bring, you know, all willing parties along to make sure that, uh, you know, vaccination is done in a equitable way that it's democratized, and and quite frankly, that it's driven by science. That our hotspot communities really have access to the vaccine, you know, in their communities. That they're aware of, of where it is. That they that we facilitate scheduling for them, and, and that we address hesitancy. So, you know, certainly, I think it's it's the entire spectrum of activities that we need help with, and and uh, you know, the more people, the better.
0: Well, I want to thank you very much, Dr. Betancourt, for joining us and giving us this message and this story.
1: Well, it's been my pleasure, and I thank you for the kind invitation, and I uh, you know, hope we could come back with a, with a great story about how we were able to equitably deploy the vaccine and and really um, you know think about ways to uh, you know create more Spanish language care groups across the country. Thank you.
0: Dr. Joseph Betancourt, Senior Vice President for Equity and Community Health at Massachusetts General Hospital. I'm Tom Agello. Thank you for listening to Safety Net, a podcast of news, trends, and ideas from Crico in the Harvard Medical System. Find all of our podcasts at www.rmf.harvard.edu and subscribe. Find us wherever you get your podcasts, and then rate and review the show to help others find it too.